Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations about ecological embodiment and intimacy with place. I'm your host, Kendra Ward, acupuncturist and land alchemist, currently living on traditional Abenaki land in what is now called Vermont. In these explorations, we wonder, what happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Waking up from a great forgetting, these inquiries bring us to the fluid interfaces of human body and land body. Along the way, it's my hope that we diversify our sense of relational kinship, discover creative, disruptive ways of living beyond our human-centric tendencies, and make wide space for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. Because in these joy-soaked but bleak times, falling in love with the land and the beings where we live is truly the basis of healing and reconciliation, a resistance against ecocide, and the special work of our human hearts used well. Well, hello, everyone. And I'd like to introduce you to my guest today, ecotherapist Beth Stevens. With over 20 years' experience designing and leading non-clinical well-being programs in the public and charity sectors, in 2021, Beth shifted gears and founded her ecotherapy practice, which she calls Nature in Mind. As an ecotherapist, Beth guides humans to rediscover their connection to the earth, working with nature as a part of nature. Through a journey of discovery, growth, and healing, Beth teaches people how to enter into a reciprocal relationship with the earth and how to open up to a different conversation with the other than humans and ourselves. If ecotherapy piques your interest, I'm happy to report that we'll all learn a whole lot more about ecotherapy in the conversation today. Best passion for what she does is absolutely contagious, and even though the topics that we explore together feel pretty vast and slippery, topics like, what does it mean to court mystery? Or what does it mean to discover the largest story that we're capable of living? Well, somehow, still, I feel like Beth found a way to let these inquiries have the immensity and complexity and respect that they required. More than anything, I felt like this conversation was about reclaiming wholeness. Because what a relief, what a relief to return to the muck and mess of our earthly entanglements and finally relax into our lives as they are. All right, this is an absolute gem of an episode. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, everyone. I'd love to just begin with giving thanks to this great Mother Earth home and just acknowledging the larger geographies, the big sacred intelligences, the rivers and hills and trees and clouds that we don't just live with, but live in and whose consciousness and presence inform our lives directly and who will be here long after us. So let us just take a moment to feel into and connect with the land wherever you may be at this moment, allowing the old spirit and vast resonances to rise up into the room with us, into our hearts, into this conversation, into our speaking and our listening. 
Well, thank you, everyone. And I am so very excited to be in conversation with Beth today. And I just love to begin with hearing a little bit more about the place where you are and how you're loving on this place and how this place is loving on you, uh, particularly from a body sense, from a body felt sense. And um, yeah, just love to hear how how this place is dreaming you into being. Mm, gorgeous. Thank you, Kendra. It's lovely to be here with you. So I'm over here in England, uh, over on the East Coast. So I guess sort of geographically, if you were to find London and then head east to the the land that juts out like a bottom, I think, really. Uh, I'm over there almost as far east as you could be hmm. here in England in a place called Suffolk, which is, oh, sometimes, you know, just pondering on how to capture the essence of any place feels to me like a challenge, right, to find find the words. Um, for me, this place, I haven't always been here. I've been here about 15 years. You know, I was fairly sort of nomadic before and, sort of ended up here quite by by accident really and this place to me is had this fascination this it's a curious place Suffolk mm. um, there's something of a deep intrigue here deep a deep kind of mystique and maybe I'll sp- try and speak a little bit into that so I'm, a, I'm I'm just inland about 10 miles from the coast and we're one of the flattest places in in England. So here you won't find rolling hills and, and mountains. Here you'll find flatlands. As you come in off the coast, this sort of North Sea wind that blusters in to these receding, you know, coastline you know, with cities that are underneath the ocean, you know, been washed out to sea. Um, and this vast expanses of reed beds and marshes and estuaries and mud flats, you know, these vast skies, these huge skies. Um, into then forests of oak and birch uh, and pine. Yeah, and there's something of this place, I suppose, for me when I kind of am with and walking with these like salt-licked trees that the wind has manoeuvred into their form, there's something for me here and in the grasses of a real melancholy. Mm. I feel that, something of a melancholy here. And there's something I think of that to do with the layers and layers of, of history, but battle history here, mm-hmm. where we are. This, this land does not give up her stories easily, I feel. <laughs> There's something of a, yeah, of a, a layer upon layer of, of times when actually there's been a deep desecration of the land here. Um, you know, it's where we are positioned on the North Sea, you know, invasions from the Germanic tribes, the Angles and the Saxons and the Vikings. There's a real Anglo-Saxon stronghold here. So there was a huge amount of war fought on these lands. Um, and actually the advent of Christianity really came here. I think just in Suffolk alone, there was something like 76 monasteries or something. So so whereas I suppose what, what I'm saying is where in other places of England, you might find our Celtic and Druidic history much more prominent, you know, with stone circles, you know, standing stones and ancient wells. So, you know, if you go down to the southwest or further north, it's there. You know, it's it's oozing that. Whereas in Suffolk, you won't find that here. You won't see it. I suppose with sort of Christianity, a lot of those sacred sites were built on top of. Um, yeah, and um, and then of course, you know, with our world wars, with bomb testing sites and and air bases, so. And with that, and then actually with agriculture, we have these vast monocrops, like huge agricultural land where the soil is just, yeah, been really, you know, it's 
is, is dying, you know. So for me here in Suffolk, it's that sort of juxtaposition between that kind of raw, the wind here, like with the coastline, you know, and then this, yeah, this deep, deep wounding of the land, actually, deep desecration of, of that. And so Suffolk invites me to listen deeply with my whole body. And so when you speak there of like a, a felt sense, and I speak of not giving up those stories so easily, she's invited me to to listen with my with my whole body, to go into actually, to go into, lean into that melancholy and to place my belly to the earth, actually. Um, yeah. And there's something for me in that intimate act of that, that she has shown me how to be intimate with myself. She's invited, you know, that deep listening into myself. Um, and actually also in in her reclaiming of the land here, you know, there is along our coastline, you know, there is huge concrete structures, martello towers and pillboxes and, you know, the leftover from the war with this wild nature that weaving her way with bramble thickets, you know, and she's reclaiming. Like there's something of like, yeah, her taking back this land. And for me, there's something of that, of, of how, yeah, when I lean into that, I feel that. I feel that, that journey that she's on that actually does something to me in my journey of reclaiming my inner landscape, reclaiming that, that back. And so, yeah, she's taught me to, to find beauty in the most unlikely of places as well. And so all the time I feel this, this place is dreaming me into being, all the time in every conversation that I have, every little pocket of woodland that sits at the edge of vast, you know, agricultural land, you know, like you know, with every, you know, as the wind sweeps through the grasses, like the mystery that lies there. Like, yeah, you feel such a deep connection to this place. Mm. Thank you. I just, I'm just lost in your description, you know, like I can taste the salt and, mm. um, you know, get a sense of the reeds and the vast sky and um, such beauty, but also appreciating your willingness to go skin to skin with the melancholy, really necessary, it feels like. Yeah, very mm. necessary. Something isn't there of our you know, often our romanticizing of of nature, of, of land, of being drawn to places that aesthetically please us, you know, or that, that offer us perhaps a window into our, you know, our ancestry that feels that it carries something of a magic to it. Or, you know, we think there's 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 something of our our egoic self that enjoys that, that likes to lean into that. There's something here for me that Suffolk's really taught me, like of, yeah, of of some of those darker stories, you know, some of those, yeah, those melancholic tales. Um, there's an invitation, and don't get me wrong, there is incredible beauty here, and you know, but there's, you know, there's something of being staying open to, yeah, some of these more uncomfortable places, of these places that maybe something in us wants to turn away from. You know, when you see a great concrete tower that's maybe covered in graffiti and maybe there's beer cans or, you know, someone's used it as a toilet, you know. But actually then with that, it's this weaving, winding kind of life that is coming back into these places. Mm -hmm. this crumbling kind of yeah these crumbling um, buildings you know that have like sand has attached itself to or like the shingle from the beach has you know found its way into 
there. There's something deeply beguiling for me about that hmm. to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly offered me something of a wider perspective of myself to lean into that too. Yeah. Well, it feels like that the beauty and the breakdown um, leads me to a wondering around your practice of uh, ecotherapy. You know, what, how are you helping others kind of Mm -hmm. move into that beauty and that breakdown um, internally, externally? I'm curious what the practice of that looks like. Yeah, lovely, thank you. Yeah, so again, you know, and I have so many conversations around finding the language for this work, <laughs> you know, something yeah. that feels so like it it transcends, you know, the limitations of, you know, of our verbal language. Um, we often talk about this, my peers and I, and suppose for me there's something, the best way to maybe capture the essence of it is that I... I invite people on a journey. So I invite people on to go on a journey with me as their guide, with nature as my co-facilitator, as a, as a co-guide, really of reconnecting, reconnecting to their inner landscape, to their, the wholeness of their inner landscape, the wholeness of themselves through and ever curious, ever curious, ever evolving, I suppose, rekindling of a relationship to the rest of nature. So it is a rekindling, it's a remembering, actually. It's a deep listening, as we spoke of before. And so I suppose with nature as 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 guide, as our guide, actually, because nature is constantly guiding me in this process, like trusting in that emergence you know, whatever. That unpredictability is, you know, is, is so beautiful, you know, in these is sessions, whatever emerges, emerges. If the rain comes, the wind comes, you know, a being moves out of a tree, you know, bringing all of the time. It is this sort of co-emergent process to the work. So with nature as guide and as kin and as mirror, the time offering herself up with that wisdom, we... We take a journey of reclaiming wholeness. That's what it's about. Fleshing out the the facets of our human psyche. So we're fleshing out facets of our human psyche that really allow us to hold ourselves in all that it means to be a human, right? All that is thrown at us, all that comes our way in this, you know, adventure, wild ride, whatever you want to call it, of being a human. Um, And to reclaim the parts of us that have been suppressed and exiled and banished. You know, the parts that, you know, from a really young age, we learned weren't safe within this Western culture. Um, Didn't get us the the value and the belonging and the love, essentially. So we're working through this relationship with nature to reconnect with our own inner nature to, to do that. And we we might do this through grounding practices, through uh, dialogue, through self-inquiry out on the land, through um, ecosomatic practices, through creative expression. We might do this through dream work, through working with archetypes, through deep imagery. Um, we might do this through conversation with the other than human, or simply through being, actually. Mm-hmm. We're just trusting, I suppose, really, in, you know, when someone comes into my, one of my sessions, trusting, actually, that what needs to emerge is asking, is asking to emerge. Mm-hmm. What we have to do is create a safe container for it to do that. Um, and my my work is is deeply inspired by um, and informed by the work of Bill Plotkin. 
um, and also by my guides and tutors here in the UK um, of Natural Academy who developed the natural self model, Michal Connors and Rhonda Bradrick. And so these kind of maps and models really inform this work. Essentially, coming back to our true self, our wild self, our innate wildness, our natural self, deep remembering of that. Why do you think it is? Um, I mean, it's been said that humans are the only species that have forgotten our original instructions or, or kind of divine blueprint, so to speak. Just in your explorations, why do you think knowing, believing, living our archaic wholeness is so freaking difficult for us? Yeah, it's interesting. You use the word forgotten, actually. Like, and I'd say that there's something here of, actually, have we forgotten or have we forgotten how to listen? Have we forgotten how to hear ourselves? Or actually, if there's something like it's impossible to hear ourselves because there's so much noise. <laughs> there's so much noise that we are, we can't hear ourselves. Yeah. Certainly as well, it's really important to say it's in Western culture. There's still a huge amount of cultures that that create the community and the conditions for wholeness to thrive, actually but certainly in our Western culture. I think it's, it's, it's you know, very rare and very few people that really are able to say that they are living in a way that is in complete wholeness, you know, and thriving in the way that perhaps our most natural self would encourage us to. And I think that this is there's something it likes. We, we are all born whole, right? We're born, we come into this world, with endless potential you know we haven't we haven't been yeah had a face i suppose in the dirt had a, but you know had a boot on the side of our face in the dirt we haven't been squished into these kind of boxes into these expectations of, of what other people think it it means to be a human you know somebody has decided that this is what it is to be a human. And now we create a society that means every single person now has to abandon actually the truth of themselves in order to conform to that and fit into it. So what we don't have is a culture that supports us. From that day when we're born into this world, we don't in Western society have a culture that supports us to come into our wholeness, to hone it, to hone our wholeness, actually, so that we can wield it in a way that supports us to thrive and supports us to live a life. And I think it's James Hillman that speaks of, like, the largest story that we're capable of living, you know, this greatest story that each of us, you know, each of us are a story, right? You know, with this, you know, that's been dreamed into being, use that dreamed into being, you know, but that is straight away from being born into this society is sort of taken away from us, yeah. or suppressed, whatever you want to use. Because I, from what I see and what I hear is that we're in a culture that is obsessed with the material game, right? obsessed with this banal notion of profit and gain and status, you know, um, it's become so skewed and so warped that essentially we're all walking around traumatized, right? <laughs> we're in a traumatized society. There's so, so much of it, you know, living from a wounded place all of the time, you know, through no, you know, this is, and this isn't a criticism of, this is not a criticism of individual people, all of us, just by the very nature that we have been detached from our true way of being, you know, have experienced the trauma of that, the so severing, severing that, you know. And so you know, it doesn't 
celebrate this this culture. It doesn't celebrate what it means to truly be a human. It doesn't celebrate us as these expressions of nature. Um, and so, of course, then that is going to have an impact, right, on our our whole being. You know, but thinking about psyche, like when we're having to survive in a world that actually isn't natural to us, that isn't our uh, conducive to that thriving, then our psyches fragment. We go into survival, you know, constantly just trying to find our way and make sense and survive in this, you know, maze, I suppose it feels like, you know. In a world that I suppose is so deeply, deeply in its shadow or a culture that's so deeply in its shadow. In fact, I'm just going to, I'm going to share with you a few lines actually by, um, by Rilke, if that's okay. Excellent, please. Yeah, and in, in sort of one of his poems, Rilke, just, just going to give you a snippet of it, says, and we always and everywhere spectators turned not towards the open, but to the stuff of our lives. It drowns us. We set it in order, it falls apart. We order it again and fall apart ourselves. I just, I mean, real just <laughs> glorious. But I, I love that sense that just like we're so consumed, consumed all of the time by this, like getting everything in order, you know, from this, you know, these systems that are very dominant. But of course, that energy that we're in, and we're trying to dominate our own experience and control it and grasp at it and make some kind of sense of it, get it in order. And just when we think we might have got it in order, the, the goalposts move again, or, you know, because it's so far away from our natural self, of course, we're unfulfilled, right? We're, we're like, oh, well, I've got all of that in order. Why do I still feel totally empty? Why do I still feel like something is missing from my life? And so we reorder it again, you know, go back and like, ah, well, if I just do this and if I just do this. And actually, you know, rather than this constant trying to create something over here is this coming back into this internal landscape. And this innate wholeness, you know, that is within us. And of course, it's it's deeply difficult for us to do that in in a society that doesn't value, doesn't value us living in that way. It values us to be productive. It values us to conform. It values us to obey. It teaches us to suppress all of these beautiful parts of ourselves you know, that that offer us the opportunity to really lean into what it means to be our full human selves. And so, you know, most of us in Western society has never even scratched the surface of our capacity, actually, as a human. Um, we're stuck in this, actually, what Bill Plotkin speaks of as this earlier adolescent stage you know where actually our focus is on our social status and our peers and sex and you know this material you know worth um yeah and so instead of really coming to into this kind of like deeply attuned and deeply present and deeply reciprocal relationship actually with the earth and the other than human world, actually. Instead of that, we say stuck. We say stuck in this very sort of surface level, which then absolutely doesn't support us or give us the opportunity because we're stuck in this very egocentric way of being. And so without this shift into this ecocentric, you know, how can we reclaim our, our wholeness if we're very stuck in the egocentric? We can't. Those parts of us are not going to allow us to do that. And then what it stops us from doing, actually, if we can't reconnect to that, is to give ourselves the chance of opening ourselves up, actually, to the vast mystery, actually, of this cosmos, of this 
earth, of this other than human. And it's from that place that we have the opportunity to hear actually our soul, our soul's purpose, to create the space and be able to act actually on what it is that we hear. So this soul-centric way of living actually is the result of us, I believe, you know, being able to reconnect to and reclaim something of that wholeness and work with those parts of us that otherwise prevent us from embarking on that wild adventure. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, so, yeah, maybe in a rather roundabout, long-winded way, I <laughs> think for me that sort of, yeah, the wholeness is not, welcomed actually in this western society a, a culture that currently thrives on our fragmentation it's a big big question and i appreciate <laughs> you being you know kind of finding all the corners of the question because it's a it's a it's a really big one i i feel it as you were speaking i was um remembering a teaching from uh from a mentor of mine Lori Deshar and she talks about you know again like coming in and looking at a baby's fresh face you know knowing that that gorgeous inherent divinity and she uses the term cracking like at some point we all experience a first cracking whether that whether or not we use the word trauma or some cracking in our psyche of realization, um, which I think you know is is partially related to a realization or belief then in a separateness, um, a cracking in terms of you know a shift in our sense of safety, and you know the then this this potential. Um, to have to then kind of, what do we do then from there? Like, what is the process? In many cultures around the world, there might have been a rite of passage or a way in which the tribe or community supported um, the growth and a re, you know, a slow re reconfiguring toward that soul centric knowing. Um, but without, you know, our culture is is devoid of those support systems. So, yeah, just uh, it's it's a really it's a it's a continued deep inquiry for sure. And I feel like the those beliefs in in our separateness are a big part of it. So, I'd love to just explore this sense of entanglement with you a little bit further, um, especially as I am noticing this growing sentiment in the collective, this fatigue to continually carve and craft ourselves into more perfect human beings in some way. And the relief of being able to return to the muck and mess of our entanglements, um, a relief to return to life, our lives as they are. Um, so, you know, just would love to tune into this a little bit more with you, especially as it relates to your ecotherapy uh, practice and your skills in, in that way. Mm, yeah, just just want to oh, linger with that kind of muck, the entanglement, the muck and mess of entanglement. I mean, that mm, mm. is just ex exquisite and you speak there of this like perfect human being. I mean, that denies, doesn't it? Like the very truth of our existence, just that, like perfect human. First of all, I suppose it's just this notion of perfect and what it even means. Like, um, you know, we speak around perfection and the perfection again is this notion that's been decided by someone right someone somewhere has said well this is what it means to be a perfect human and certainly in these these kind of realms of you know spiritual growth and yeah I, as from what i see and actually a lot of as with anything right as with anything 
it can become uh, another commodity, like another thing that sort of speaks into, um, you know, this sort of consumerist machine. It's like, ah, now, you know, we can now take, you know, these practices and we can package them up and put them in a box and sell them back to you with a bow and place all of these conditions on them. So even in this you know, these realms of like spiritual growth and of returning back to our nature, our divinity is the word that you use. Actually, so much of this, and I really hear what you're saying there around this, you know, this carving out perfect human, this sort of this drive towards that, because I think so much of it plays into this kind of old paradigm or this paradigm of striving striving for something that is clearly unobtainable and clearly unnatural you know it's you know it just speaks into that same energy of kind of like striving and grasping and you know I'll be happy if I can get over here and and be this and we talk a lot and it's become a you know again there's lots of buzzwords to this but this kind of bypassing actually of the muck and the mess and you know the entanglement you know and you know, if we look at we look at nature, you know, look at nature, like she is brutal and she is messy and she is mucky and she is complex. And, you know, as part of nature, you know, we are another expression of nature. Of course, so are we. And, you know, I can only speak from my experience, actually, of this. I'm not here to cast any judgment or aspersions on, on other people's. But for me, like, this work is not about coming back to perfection or coming or start getting to perfection. It's around coming back to wholeness. And it is around the snot gobbling, face in the earth, hands in the mud, mucky realness of it all, you know. And the when I can feel it in my body now, as I say this, like the exquisite gloriousness of that and the relief as you speak to like, you know, I, I often think, and this is, you know, you know, and I, 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 this is very tongue in cheek and I mean this, you know, with the best intention, but I see so much of kind of these images and things of women in sort of white dresses, you know, dancing and it all being very, you know, with perfect hair and, you know, beautiful that is not my experience in this work <laughs> at all I am the woman who would have tomato ketchup down her white dress right <laughs> I am the woman whose like makeup is streaks down her face because she's been sobbing into the moss you know like inhaling this kind of like stench of fecund soil you know and reveling rolling around in that with you know, absolute glee and pain because it's not, you know, it's not all, uh, yeah, it's not all glorious and light. <laughs> There's a lot else to it. And I think when we can oh, allow ourselves, allow ourselves to stop striving actually for something stop seeing this journey of growth as another thing we have to achieve another place that we have to get to that we then shoot ourselves with the second arrow if we don't or if we fail to commit to that practice or whatever I think if we can allow ourselves like the grace the grace of the of being human and all of that means in its messy complexity actually um then actually there's a deep honoring of nature in that and ourselves as part of nature and a deep authenticity to our journey actually for me that's what i've experienced like when i allowed myself just to be in it as it is and be with myself as I am you know then that's when this work for me dropped from being something kind of conceptual 
to like you speak of that deep felt sense to like ah this is it this is it Mm. and and that was for me then when when the journey opened up when I took away you know all of the conditions I placed around it you know um yeah Mm. Mm. so much there just letting it sink in (laughs) I um where I live I I hail from uh, what is now called Vermont and Vermont you know when you read the research around what are the least or most climate affected places and Vermont is always um, rated very low like it's sort of this enclave And yet in the last few weeks, we've been hit by catastrophic flooding and very strange weather and just very apocalyptic sort of experiences from the the greater weather gods and beyond. And um, in talking to people around me, there's really this, they're going about their lives in the best way that they can, but there's this like static of panic and eco-anxiety and deep sadness. And so in, in being in the mess and muck of things, I think we are spiraling through, through all the feelings and also Remembering to find relief, you know, I think that that's like not letting the joy, like not forgetting those other aspects too, in the honoring of where we are, um, in honoring of the, the sadness that lingers there. So, you know, this sense of attuning to what gives us a sense of uh, psychological relaxation in the living world. And I think that humans have, we've been craving this from our very beginnings, you know, staring up at the ancient song lines in the dark of night and um, having the opportunity to enter the psyche of a mountain or just being truly present with that, you know, yarrow growing in the garden. So just a relief to remember that culture is not uniquely human and psyche is not uniquely human and language, like you've said, you know, not uniquely human. Um, And so I guess I'm just, you know, would love to lean into um, the joy a little bit, you know, what gives us a little bit of that psychological relaxation because we have to remember to go there in the spiraling, in the moving, um, through the experience of it all. Um, and then I feel a part of that is just this essential place that the great mystery holds. You know, I actually find a sense of psychological relaxation in that remembering. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a few beautiful threads there. So just touching on this joy actually feels so important just to linger on that for a moment, as you say, like in this time where there's, there is this deep sort of collective uh, anxiety, fear, you know, with the, the events of the last few years, you know, being held in fear for you know, an extended period of time. Like I can feel, I can feel you know, how people's nervous systems essentially are still trying to find a way of, of regulating themselves. And actually, it's, it's you know, in these times and, and in these times of, of where things are difficult, where it can feel actually familiar to stay in, you know, the despair and then in the sorrow. In there. And, and I know of myself, actually, that I, there's times when I have to really consciously, like, lift myself into something that is going to support me to lean into pleasure and into joy and to find that lightness you know in a in a very collective dense energy that there is as you say you know big ecological events that are happening 
um, not just ecological, but, you know, for us all, wherever we are, whichever, you know, country that we live in, you know, there's there's lots, isn't there, all the time. We are often bombarded with the, the sort of sorrows and the terrors of the world. So there's something here around leaning into that kind of joy, that curiosity, you know, and the innocence, the innocence, actually, of being human. You know, innocence, actually, which is, you know, stripped away from us from such a young age, you know, particularly within the school system, you know, when then this, the expectations come in. Like, there's something of really leaning into that childlike innocence and and finding that wonder and being and engaging with the land from that place of childlike curiosity and wonder, taking joy. I mean, it was a couple of days ago, just the immense pleasure from these seed pods that were rattling. And I spent my kind of, yeah, afternoon just in a meadow, just really enjoying and savouring and revelling in the simplest pleasure of that, you know. So just there's something that feels really important to have have lingered with that. Um, And then, you know, something of this this great mystery. Now, this is a this is a big question, <laughs> a big topic. Um, he spoke of relief there actually as well, and I think there's something I feel when we really can lean into mystery. What the relief I feel is like the relief from my own ego, right? The relief from this kind of like ego that believes that we have got anything under control. <laughs> You know, that we have any say in this, really. Uh, you know, no matter how much we we might grasp or convince ourselves. So yeah, there's something here in, in you know, when opening up to mystery you know, is, is actually an invitation from mystery to to step away from our egos, actually, into this this unknown. And for me, there is you know a couple of things to to sort of consider and explore when when we start talking about mystery i mean because this mystery is a, a big word right like you know try and try and find like try and find language for the for mystery like what is it like it's that's a that's a real challenge there's something for me first of like an acknowledgement of the great mystery you know us actually as as humans in this western culture because we're very much, I think, in a culture that is, interestingly, it is like as is rejecting of mystery, as equally rejecting of mystery as it is beguiled by mystery. Mm. So I really, I feel this like we have this kind of like rejection of the things that we cannot explain or intellectualize or define, and yet we have this fascination for those things. But what we do with that is we try and take something like mystery and we try and put it into something that we can box up or that we can make meaning out of, you know, like all of us are like this search for meaning all of the time. Like, what does that mean? You know, we might, you know, have a, an, a, an encounter with an other than human and then we might be going home looking up the symbolism of that. Like, what does it mean? <laughs> you know, so we are... You're like we're sort of chasing and this comes from I think quite an egocentric place you know like something quite self-serving about that you know like what does that mean for me <laughs> you know um so I find that kind of quite interesting and I know that those ones of myself like oh yeah <gasps> have this experience what does that you know what does that mean so there's something I think first of acknowledging our relationship perhaps with mystery and everybody's is is different but as a collective and then I think there's something here for me like as again I can only speak from my own experience with mystery because of, you know, this is mystery we're talking about everyone's is going to be different right mm-hmm. <laughs> like of course but yeah I mean it's not enough just to acknowledge mystery for me it is a courtship hmm. it's a deep courtship actually um yeah, which really invites us to 
listen again with our whole body and to actually challenge and question everything that we think or that our egoic mind thinks it knows about our experience of being here um and there's uh, if it feels okay there's a i want to share an, a poem actually with you um, excellent which actually for me was was kind of my real sort of window into this my courtship with mystery it was you know set my journey in motion it feels like uh, it, it perhaps offers something of my perspective on this great mystery um, and it's another Rilke poem I think when we're talking about mysteries you know Rilke is <laughs> um, so I'm, I'll share those those words um, yeah it's from the book of hours There's, and yet though we strain against the deadening grip of daily necessity I sense there is this mystery all life is being lived. Who is living it then? Is it the things themselves or something waiting inside them like an unplayed melody in a flute? Is it the winds blowing over the waters? Is it the branches that signal to each other? Is it flowers interweaving their fragrances or streets as they wind through time? Is it the animals warmly moving or the birds that suddenly rise up? Who lives it then? God, are you the one who is living life? Yeah. And so for me, I mean, those words, that, that sort of invitation I suppose it was I mean that poem was a, an invitation for me and and actually I found myself absolutely beguiled by the tops of trees for some reason after after you know being with the, with that poem and then being out on the land I just was drawn to like the, the movement of tops of trees and like what mystery is lying in between those branches? You know, what is moving there? What is the wind stirring there? And there's something, yeah, for me that emerged from this poem, which invited my perception of mystery. Um, and there was there's something around like co the cosmos having within it a muse. Uh, a dreamer if you like <laughs> yeah. and so cosmos then dreaming our earth our planet earth into being you know our earth being dreamt through and dreaming stars and galaxies you know and all of these wonders being like bill plotkin talks about like a delivery system of soul you know like and so all of these expressions, you know, of this cosmos's dream, you know, this delivery system of, of cosmos's soul, these expressions, and then each living thing of our earth. So, you know, each bird, I suppose, and each plant, each human is the earth dreaming form into being, right? You know, it's, you know, it's the earth's delivery system of soul. Each the form of each living thing, and then within each living thing, you know, within each living thing, within each bird, within each plant, you know, the, there is, you know, the song of thrush, the hues of, you know, of pink on a petal. You know, all of these are then, you know, the dreaming of the muse within these, you know, within the form of bird, then dreaming its song. You know, this delivery system of soul, of bird and petal and flower. You know, so really that everything, everything on this earth, every expression of nature, you know, is something of uh, an expression of earth dreaming, a vessel of earth dream. And then what is, what is that dream? And for me, what I have come to believe is that mystery is that dream. 
mystery is the dream that is being dreamed through every expression you know of of nature and that the form our form the form of of us and of bird and of tree and of plants and of fish all of that is the the form is the cauldron of mystery right that is self-generating cycle which then Pose the question to me then, like, well, then, so then what is God? As Rilke asks, like, and for me then, you know, to be surely then mystery. Mystery is God. So really, what is being asked of us all, perhaps, I'm curious, I wonder, <laughs> perhaps, is to just get out of the way. Is <laughs> to get out of the way and allow mystery to dream through us just as mystery dreams through bird just as mystery dreams through fox you know just as mystery dreams through great oak or pine that as as humans all we need to do all we need to do is move out of the way so that mystery can dream its song through us you know, this unplayed melody, you know, that is waiting to come into expression, just like the rest of nature does through its innate wholeness, right? You know, every other being, as you spoke earlier, is innately whole, is living from that place of wholeness. And therefore, that dream, it just, just is there. It's just all there. There is no, you know, perhaps no great need to decipher meaning or understand, you know, the details of what what is this? It's like, it's just mystery. We are just mystery being dreamed through. Um, and somewhere along the way, we have lost ourselves in that lost ourselves to something else and clogged up you know that channel for that dream to emerge through us hmm. <laughs> yeah. ah deliciousness <laughs> oh thank you for taking us there like i think you just you took us right there you know taking us to that to the cosmic soul and all of that easy dreaming you know, as long as we just kind of let it, like you said, let ourselves get out of our, get about our, our own way, um, letting it unfold. Yeah, mm -hmm. letting it, you know, and trusting, you know, that each of us, you know, Bill uses the term like this unique, you know, this niche, this niche that we have, you know, um, that we are, we are, or each of us here, you know, with, this unique niche to be of service to the earth, to bring our gifts, to bring you know, our melody, our dream here. And, you know, and, and from that place, actually, you know, we are, you know, the, the magic of that, you know, the absolute magic of, of our humanness in that, you know. And actually in this journey then of coming back to wholeness, of rekindling that relationship to nature, you know, of this this deep connection, you know, not as a sort of like bystander to or a, like a, a deep relationship, a reciprocal relationship, a conversation with the rest of nature. And through that, through that rekindling of that, we then reconnect to that, that wholeness through that reconnection to that wholeness we start then to reconnect to the truth of our soul and then we allow ourselves the opportunity to move out of the way <laughs> move to, or to 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 work with the parts of ourselves that stop us from being able to move out of the way to then allow mystery to dream through us right perhaps <laughs> perhaps <laughs> that's my that would be my uh yeah my wonderings about mystery I suppose 
glorious. <laughs> well, I feel like that's um there's so much there. I feel like that's a it's a good place to let it all settle, you know, to let us pause with all of that and let it sink in. And I'd love for you to um yeah, just let us come to a close hearing a little bit more about any offerings you have on the horizon or just anything else you wanted to share with us about your work. Hmm. Lovely. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I am uh, on this journey with, with mystery that I'm have been on and continue to be on my work is ever evolving and transforming. And I am, um, more and more being called to work with with women actually um within this sort of process of deep reclamation and remembering and yeah sort of wilding ourselves back with the land um and so while i will absolutely still be working one-to-one -one with people um Actually, both face-to-face -face and online, so you can work with people wherever. Through that practice of ecotherapy, through that work, I am now moving towards, and this is still dreaming through me, I'm still in this process of this sort of percolation. Yeah, just allowing that to slowly alchemize and infuse, but really to bring focus to uh, opportunities for women to deeply connect back to their wild instinctive nature through um, courses and through circles. I facilitate women's circles and red tents here in Suffolk, but I'm I'm now moving towards sort of expanding this into something. It's growing. I can feel it kind of like yeah, something is is emerging. So where that will go, who knows? But certainly it feels like uh, that will be my one-to-one -one work and this sort of work with women will be my my focuses as we move into 2024, certainly. So, yeah, and if listen, if people want to, yeah, explore more about what I do or are intrigued, interested, then they can, by all means, head to my website, have a potter around there, my Instagram and uh, the nature in mind. And, yeah, I'm always open to have a conversation, a bit of an exploration to see how yeah, this journey might be supportive, how my work might be supportive of, of the journey that somebody's on. So, yeah, please feel free to get in touch, have a conversation. Wonderful. Well, I'll, we'll, we'll have all of that information available. And um, thank you so much, Beth, for sharing yourself so beautifully with us and for your gifts as this matchmaker between human and earth and, <laughs> uh, you know, cultivating love affairs for all of us this way. Oh, I really appreciate I you. That. Oh, thank you. What a beautiful, yeah. I love that matchmaker cultivating love affairs. That's I'm going to have to take a note of that. That's <laughs> pretty scrumptious, pretty scrumptious. And thank you. I really appreciate your beautiful questions and inquiry to some of these vast mm. themes, you mm. know, can feel so vast that sometimes difficult to step towards. Mm -hmm. I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to explore some of this together. So thank you. Mm. Well, much gratitude for everyone listening for spending this time with us. And if it felt of benefit to you, please do consider leaving a review or subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening source is. I'd also encourage you to check out KendraWard.com. Here you can find old episodes to catch up on, 
And you can learn more about my work as an acupuncturist and land alchemist. I provide in-person acupuncture and energy work for human bodies, and I provide land alchemy and energy work for land bodies. If you've never heard of this term, land alchemy, before, and you're curious, you can find out more at KendraWard.com. May we discover new ways while also remembering old ways of relating and being in kinship as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. Thanks, everyone, and I look forward to being with you on the next episode.